Hello everyone, I'm Alan Mellish, Director of Events and Online Content at the Human Capital Institute, and this is 9 to Thrive HR, your source for education, expertise, and knowledge on all things talent. If you just can't get enough of this kind of thing, check out hci.org for more amazing free content like this. Also, if you want to make a real investment in your personal development this year, be sure to learn about our highly interactive virtual conference schedule at hci.org forward slash conferences. This episode of Nine to Thrive is brought to you by the Marcus Buckingham Company, now an ADP company. Learn more about them at tmbc.com. And we are once again joined by Amy Leschke-Carl, VP of Performance Acceleration at the Marcus Buckingham Company, an ADP company, for part three of our three-part series on engagement. Great to chat with you again, Amy. On our previous sessions, we discussed what practitioners want to know about employee engagement and also the importance of teams. Today, to round out our discussion, we're going to be talking about the role of individuals in terms of employee engagement. How do we contribute as individual people to the larger whole of what engagement is like in our organization? So very excited to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, and it's a topic we don't talk about a whole lot, especially as HR practitioners and talent practitioner folk. We often talk about kind of the organization level of engagement and top down and measurement and metrics and targets and programs and plans, like all of that stuff which, by the way, we know isn't very helpful, actually, to getting more employee engagement, by the way. We've talked about that in previous episodes. And we often talk about, because we know the team leader plays such an important role in employee engagement. In fact, they're the most influential role in employee engagement. The fact that we know that team leaders, the secret sauce, if you will, is paying really frequent attention to their team members through a strengths-based lens about near-term future work. What are your priorities this week? How can I help? How are you feeling? That's the super secret formula for team leaders, for team members. That's all you need to do, by the way, team leaders. Just ask those three questions once a week. Do it forever. And your teams are going to be much, much more likely to be all in, fully engaged. So we talk about that a lot. Do a lot of research around it. Develop great programs and practices and instill those in our organizations. But we kind of ignore the individual sometimes. It's not that we ignore them. We know they exist, certainly, because we're them. I mean, it's us. We're talking about us as individuals. And we play a really important part in this whole thing called employee engagement. Absolutely. I think what you're reminding me of here is any system or way of doing things can only sustain so many people that are not rowing in the same direction, essentially. And so that's where the individual comes in is um, it is your burden or responsibility to at least uh, play your role and support the overarching system rather than, you know, be a neutral or even uh, even a negative force within that system. So let's talk about that. We've been talking about the organization and team and HR's roles. What is it that the individual can do to bring their best to work? What is it that they should be doing to play their role, take their responsibility within this system? Yeah, and it's it's a good question that we often just simply ignore and fail to ask many, many times. And again, based on the data and the research, as well as experience from our clients and the expertise that we have garnered in this world of extraordinary work. There's a couple really interesting things that we found. They're also, by the way, not surprising. We've just kind of over-engineered and over-complicated it in so many ways. And the one thing that we have found that is most powerful 
is that when people have a chance to do, employees have a chance to do just a little bit every day of work that they love, work that excites them, work that I often say kind of gives them that little bit of tickle in their tummy, that thing, that task or that piece of work that you do where you kind of do like a little internal fist pump or maybe you even do an external fist pump that people can see like, yes, that was awesome. I want to do more of that. When employees, we refer to them as team members, when team members have a chance to do just a little bit of that every day, we know that they are more likely to bring their best to work. Like it's, we always say it's doing your own unique, extraordinary best. Now that may seem like really intuitive or kind of like a duh statement, and it is, but one of the most surprising things is that how few people actually know what that work is that gives them that tickle in their tummy. We call those strengths. So most people don't even think about it. It's not top of mind for hardly anyone, unless you happen to work for an organization who has committed to helping their organization be one in which we see each other for the best of us. And we help people identify where their own unique best work is. And by the way, that's not just a knowledge worker thing. That's an anywhere in the organization thing. We had um, one of our clients, and by the way, we help all of our clients go through this and kind of make this. I'm going to call it a transformation, I guess, to a more strengths-based environment. This happens to be one of our clients that has a good number of frontline workers. And one of our frontline workers, it's such a powerful story. One of their frontline workers actually took our standout assessment. It's what we call our, our technology that helps organizations and team leaders and team members identify their strengths and put those on the table more often. And it starts with an assessment. And this particular employee took the standout assessment. and he said a very profound thing to his team leader after he said it. And he was a frontline employee doing what many of us would consider would be kind of manual, kind of labor-esque kind of work, a frontline doing hard work every single day. And he said to his boss, his team leader, he said, I never knew that people saw me this way. I never knew that I had this in me, that this is, that even I, who most people would say, you know, doing uh, janitorial type work, had something special to give to the organization. And it's such a powerful lesson for all of us to learn because sometimes we forget that, that bringing your best to work is not a hierarchical thing. It's not something that's reserved for leaders or for executives or even for knowledge workers. It's an every person thing. And don't you think that every person deserves to have that opportunity? to discover where their own unique secret sauce is and put it on the table more often. And I think we as leaders can help people to do that. And we also as individuals can play a part in that as well. But I think that it's not a story. It's a, it's a true life example of how powerful it can be. Um, we kind of lose that in the prioritization and the urgency and the fire drills that many of us do every single day. Yes, I'm reminded of, and this is not quite the same thing, but I think it was Google that had 20% time where people were just supposed to work on independent projects that they were interested in rather than what was being dictated to them by their by their managers and leaders. And I think uh, 3M for a long time had something similar for their R&D department. But I think you're right to call out that everybody has strengths. And so there's no reason why this concept can't be applied to folks outside of knowledge work or outside of leadership. So. Thank you for sharing that powerful story. Now, switching gears a little bit, 
ADP's People and Performance Research Institute's data shows that only 14% of global workers are fully engaged. That sounds, I'm going to be honest, really bad. Um, why is that? And what do we want to do about that? Or what could we do about that? Yeah, it is really bad, isn't it? And it's sad when you think about the amount of time that most of us spend at work. And even if you're not a knowledge worker, it's oftentimes more than eight hours a day. I mean, it can be 10 or 12, depending on what's happening in the world. And to think that only 14% of people who are doing work are all in, fully engaged. And just to be super clear, we should define engagement and what we're talking about here because people, it can be all kinds of things. And we define it as the emotional precursor to extraordinary work. So that emotional experience that we need to have at work in order to be able to do our unique, best, extraordinary work. And it's funny because people kind of get a little bit, um, sometimes a little uncomfortable almost with thinking about work as an emotional thing, but we're human beings. Of course, it's an emotional thing. I mean, you may leave this conversation and hopefully you'll have positive emotions, but you know those days that we all have at work where you kind of get done and go, ugh, I mean, that's the real world of work. And so when you think about the fact that only 14% of people, um, and it's 19% in the U.S., by the way, if you happen to be sitting in the U.S. listening to this, are all in five out of five on, um, we measure, we have eight items, but however you do that. To think that only 14% of people are all in and having that five out of five experience, it, it is shockingly low. It's sad. It's, gosh, like how can we even think about all the advancements we have in things and think about what we could be doing? What would it look like, feel like, sound like if that number were 25%, if that number were 50%? And we see that actually with our clients that that's a global average and when we look at our clients, we start to see numbers like 40% of their employees are fully engaged or all in, or sometimes even 50 or 51% of their employees. And sometimes it's lower than that. It kind of varies. But can you imagine what it looks like, feels like, sound like to be working in an organization where maybe 50% of your employees are all in, or maybe even a little bit more than that? Think about if you're a customer for that organization. If you, if you go to that, it's a retailer, or if it happens to be healthcare, or think about if you're buying the product from that manufacturer whose employees are 50% all in versus 14%, what's the quality level going to look like? You don't need a big book of research or a big survey to tell you that that's going to be a differentiating experience for you as a client, as a customer, as a community member, as a patient, perhaps. So the why of that, so why is it so low? Well, we've kind of over-engineered and over-complicated the world of work. And if you think about the world of work, our places of employment are filled with amazing human beings. I mean, every single one of us, no matter where you work in a hierarchy, has unique gifts and talents to bring to the table. Now, that may sound like fluff and stuff, but it's not. You, Alan, have unique gifts and talents that you bring to your role at HCI. I have unique gifts and talents that I bring to my role at the Marcus Buckingham Company and ADP Company. Everybody does. And when we have an opportunity to put those on the table more often, our organizations thrive. And I think probably even more importantly than that, we thrive as individuals. And the impact of that, not only for our organizations, but for the people who are around us, our family members, our friends, it's kind of like almost in a weird way, like transformational in and of itself. 
So as we think about our role as practitioners and even you as your role and my role now kind of as, as part of the broader community helping share what we've learned becomes almost a bit of a mission as opposed to a job to help the world of work be better. And that starts to kind of circle back to where we started. It starts with the individual and it starts with each of us just taking a little bit of time, a few moments each week to reflect back on what did I do this week that I loved? What are those activities that I did that were maybe game-changing and that made me feel really excited or that I want to do more of? And then as an individual, making sure that we're sharing that with our team leaders and say, hey, I made an amazing contribution this week doing something that I really felt excited about, that I loved. And yes, you can use the L word at work. It's fine. And I think we overcomplicate what it looks like to do great work and do extraordinary work. Um, but it starts with each of us looking to ourselves and asking ourselves the question, where are my strengths? What are my unique strengths? What are those activities I do at work that I love? And how can I be my own advocate and do more of them? Yeah, I think it's often tempting for all of us to, I mean, because there is a wide range of levels of agency that any of us has uh, in a given situation or in a given job. But I think we all have a tendency sometimes as individuals to think, oh, this is a good job or a bad job. It's just, that's the job that has been given to me or inflicted upon me. <laughs> you know, the only way that I can affect this is to get a different job or something like that. But there is something what you're kind of talking about or that we can get at as individuals is doing that practice of paying attention to how we feel when we do different things at work and say, oh, at the very least, even if you're stuck in a really terrible job, you can learn, here's the things that I really don't like doing. And here's a couple of things that I really do like doing. And that exercise is hugely helpful, I think, in setting a path forward of, okay, I may not want to stay here, but where do I go next in this organization? What should I be pursuing next? Who should I be talking to, getting advice from in how to get to a place where I do feel uh, fully engaged and committed when I come into work. Yeah, absolutely. And we actually found a bit of a surprise in our, our data when we looked at that. And we know, and we've talked about this so many times, you and I have, Alan, about how the world's best team leaders pay really frequent attention to their team members through a strengths-based lens about near-term future work, and they pay attention every single week. We've established that, and the data is really clear around that. One of the things that we found, however, that was a bit surprising, at least it was surprising to me, was that when team members, so when us, and by the way, if you're a team leader, you're also a team member, unless you happen to be a chairman of a board or something where you literally don't report to anybody, but most of us are not that person. Um, we're all team members as well, even if we have direct reports and even if we lead teams. And what we found through looking at our, our data from our uh, technology system called Standout is that when team members took a few minutes every single week to answer a very few simple questions, so what activities did I love this week? What activities did I loathe? And did you have a chance to use your strengths this week? And did you make an outstanding contribution? Do you feel like you contributed to the organization? And we ask a couple other questions about priorities and for this week and next week and what help do you need from your team leader. And those two or three minutes that that team member that, in fact, this is what I do every single week, I answer those questions, takes me a couple minutes, that just that practice of answering those questions increases my engagement. 
Right? Team leader paying attention to that information, by the way, is kind of like the exponential accelerator to that. But just me taking a moment to think about my work for the week and the upcoming week makes the needle on engagement move, which is really interesting. And it's almost like I often kind of uh, will make an analogy about doing a weekly gratitude exercise, except we flip it around a little bit. You know, when you do a weekly gratitude exercise, you typically answer the question, you know, what are you grateful for this week? What were you grateful for? And we think about other people or things that happened to us. And what we actually find moves the needle on engagement is flipping it around. It's what am I grateful for for me? What about me as an individual? And as we think about an individual's role in employee engagement, that's a critical piece. It's hard for your team leader to help you do more of your own unique best work if you don't know where your own unique best work is. And you're the only one who can answer that question because it's an emotional thing. So it's a really interesting phenomena about the role that the individual plays. You were talking about agency. Sometimes we, we don't think that we have it. And we all have to work. I'm not saying we wouldn't love to win the lottery and not have to do the work that we do. I mean, I love my work, but boy, that's a pretty interesting kind of thing. Like, wouldn't we all love that? And even just those small few changes make a difference in how we feel about work. And by the way, if your team leader's not paying frequent attention to you, you can ask them. There's nothing holding us back from saying, hey, do you have five minutes? Can I just share with you what I'm working on this week? And I could really use some help on this. It doesn't have to be a formal structure. So if you're not getting the attention that you need from your team leader, ask for it. Put time on the team leader's calendar. You can do that too. There's all kinds of things that you can do as an individual to help your team leader help you. Because remember, most team leaders didn't get there because they wanted to be a team leader. I mean, it's not something that a lot of people aspire to. In fact, if you look at the data, sometimes you see 80 or even 90% of us team leaders kind of didn't set out to be one. So we need help too. Help us. Tell us what you need. Tell us what you're working on. If we're not asking you, be the owner of that. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, it's sort of like even when it's a team leader and a team member and the power dynamic or what have you is not the same. It is still a relationship and it is in some ways, you know, it's not completely fair to be mad at your team leader for them not fixing stuff if you haven't at least made the effort to tell them about it. So I think that's an important sort of responsibility there too. I mean, you know, I don't want to speak ill of somebody who's in a situation where their manager is a maniac and they uh, they know they're going to get their head bitten off if they complain about anything or say what's going wrong. But for most of us who work with sane adults, you can usually get a, a long ways just by saying, hey, I need to tell you that this is what I'm working on and there's a couple of things standing in the way of me getting it done. And I'm also not feeling that great this week. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I love the term team leader as opposed to supervisor or manager. Neither we're grown up adults. We don't need micromanaging, supervisory, somebody looking over our work all the time. And quite frankly, the pandemic has proved that. So many of us, with the snap of a finger within the matter of sometimes days or even hours, all of a sudden no longer had a manager watching us. And gee, it's amazing how much great work got done without having oversight, if you will. And the majority of us are really responsible grown-up adults who want to do great work. We don't come into this thing called work going, yeah, how can I just be mediocre today? 
you know, most people want to make a contribution. Again, it's not a hierarchical thing, no matter where you sit in the organization. And we can help our team leaders by sharing with them things that we love, where our own unique best work is, by asking them for more frequent attention in a really partnery kind of a way. I think great team leaders are great partners. I don't think they're supervisors. I don't think they're managers. You manage the work. You don't manage people. You lead people. You partner with people. And that's how we create those really, unfortunately, elusive but magical workplaces when they happen where people just feel better. We feel better working there. We feel better shopping there. We feel better going there for our health care. And, you know, you know, we've all had those experiences where you interact with someone and you're like, oh, that was, you know, that was kind of different. They were actually really nice. They kind of seemed excited about their work. Isn't that interesting? So I think the challenge before all of us as HR practitioners and talent practitioners and people leaders and organizational leaders is how do we get more of that? How do we get more of, of this work environment where we spend so much of our time where we can all feel as if we are able to do more of our own unique best work, if we can contribute in a way that is extraordinary, that we can make our communities that we work in and live in better. And I think that's the future ahead of us as HR practitioners, um, again, as executives, as organizational leaders, is we need to go focus on that more than we are today. And when you do that, when you put that first, when you make that a priority, all those other wonderful things like quality and market presence and positioning and innovation and sustainability, so many of those things come from that. We just kind of need to flip the priorities around a bit. Well, Amy, I'm sadly going to have to bring this conversation and this series to a close. But before we go, I want to ask one last quick question. Do you feel like the employee engagement as a topic is going to lose its luster? Are we going to, you know, get over it and kind of start focusing on other things? Or does it have more staying power than that? I don't think that we can afford to stop talking about it and stop instilling those fundamental rituals of best work that is leading to fully engaged employees, we can't afford to stop talking about it and stop working on it. I think the challenge is we have to redefine it and lean into the research and lean into the expertise and lean into the experience of amazing organizations who are doing great work and kind of have achieved, if you will, that more sustainable steady state of having more employees all in. And, you know, thankfully, so many of them happen to be clients that I get to work with every single day and every single week. Um, We can't afford to stop talking about it. So I don't know. I don't think it's going to lose its luster. I think we need to double down on engagement and the practices that create it. Well, thank you, Amy. Thank you so much uh, for a really fascinating series of discussions. We'll have to do it again soon. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. This concludes our three-part series, so if you missed them, be sure to scroll back and listen to the episodes on what practitioners really wish they knew about employee engagement and the importance of teams to employee engagement. And for all ideas related to HR, come visit the Human Capital Institute at hci.org. Don't forget to like us, rate us, and subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Smart Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Alan Mellon.